everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 7, Issue 307, Resident Evil 2. You can play along with the show, you know the drill by now. We do have the full schedule over at caneandrinse.com in the podcasts drop-down, but the next five shows, for your information, will include Tenchu, Stealth Assassins, the PS1 game, can still be picked up fairly easily. Following that, it's Yoshi's Woolly World on the Wii U, or you can play the 3DS version if it's more easily available. Following that, Bioshock Infinite... Then a change of pace with actual sunlight. And after that, in tandem with the movie release, we're going to go all the way back to the original Rampage coin-op. And we'll probably talk about some of the uh, follow-ons to that as well. Head to canerince.com, as I say, for all the stuff, uh, the forum as well, and articles and features. You can get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers and support us at the same time, even if you donate just the minimum of a dollar a month on our Patreon, which is currently 71 pence or 0.81 of a euro. Patreon.com slash If you don't want to get involved in that, you can donate via PayPal. We've had a few of those now. That's very kind of you. We have a button on the homepage. You could also buy T-shirts and bags. They also help us. And you get cool T-shirts and bags at our spreadshirt.co.uk shop. Also, Cana Rinse. And as of very recently, we also have an Amazon Associates link. If you go to our homepage, you can click on that. Click on through to Amazon, order whatever you want. Your shopping experience is identical. Uh, you won't notice any difference, but we will because we'll get a little percentage back in our kitty, in our coffers. So all of that would be wonderful. Listen to our other podcast, Sound of Play, as well. It's just as cool as this one, but it's uh, it's also music. Subscribe, review, rate, both the podcasts. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 307 are Carl Moon. Hey, guys. Mikhail Kroder. Uh... Hey, he's good. He's got another one down. I'm waiting for a, some kind of Brian Irons impersonation from Sean O'Brien. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's my fault. I put you on the spot. Right. We've got a lot to talk about, partly because uh, there's been a lot recently revealed about Resident Evil 2. There's also a remake coming and there was a whole game that they canned. And we want to talk a bit about everything as well as kind of reviewing the Resident Evil 2 experience. So let's start with our histories when we first played it and how much we've played it and which versions we played, etc. Let's start with Mikhail. I bought it for my brother uh, in 98 for his birthday. Since uh, I'm Dutch and and a cheapskate, I bought an uh, illicit copy uh, of uh, the friend who I've mentioned on two podcasts before already. I think we played through Claire Scenario A before we got distracted. Really enjoyed it. That initial playthrough through the Claire A scenario didn't make as much as a lasting impression as the first Resident Evil did on us. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I've since played uh, through two more scenarios and I've come around to this uh, this game quite a bit. Okay. Sean, were you there early? Um, well, I, yeah, I had rented it uh, initially when it first came out and I played up to about the... Uh, well, I played um, Leon A... Uh, about up to where you first start taking control of Ada, and um, and then I just kind of never went back to it until uh, recently for the show. Um, oh, really? I just, yeah, wow. yeah. I just never, I never really finished it until. So yeah, uh, so uh, I've since played it on. I've been playing it on Vita for the last like couple months. So hmm, this will be interesting, Carl. Hmm. I reckon you play this nearer the time, surely. 
Yes, I definitely did. It wasn't a day one purchase. It's one of those rare occasions. I, I blame that on being in Mallorca at the time, but it was near enough release. You've been back to it at all in the years? Yeah, been, I've the... sort of played it on and off since the time of release, and I think the last time I went through the game was about, like the full game was about seven years ago. I did play the uh, the start to the uh, Raccoon City Police Department uh, on Vita. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very recently, but my playtime has been somewhat hampered yes. by life. Yes, myself, I did have disposable income in the 90s, and I went out and bought Resident Evil 2 on PAL release day, which, if memory serves, was a bank holiday weekend, because I am pretty sure I didn't work on that Friday, possibly even took the day off to play to play Resident Evil 2, because it was a kind of crazy thing I did from my office job back in uh, the days. And uh, I bought it on a Friday I remember playing it for four days solid, one scenario a day. So I played it four times in four days, effectively, which, I mean, it's kind of the game twice at that point. But it was, uh, yeah. And since then, I've only, I've been back from time to time to the early sections. uh, But this time was the first time I played through the scenarios again um, on PS3, which was, it was again, a game when they uh, first started doing PS Plus, they were doing some PS1 games as part of that package. And happily the psn versions even in europe of resident evil 2 and 3 are the american versions so they are full screen and full speed unlike the resident evil director's cut and it really does make quite a difference sean was talking in the previous show about the sort of pace of playing the game and i was saying how sort of stodgy i found it all and it Mm -hmm. really does make quite a big difference now i I think this is something that some people will be more aware of than others or or more sensitive to in the same way as people have different responses to frame rates and and various other things like resolution and hdr and whatever else i find the 50 hertz 60 hertz thing very apparent and quite irksome in in not non-optimized game so this was a real pleasure to play the game yeah, as intended it, it does make a difference doesn't it because it really I, does. i've since got a proper legit uh pal copy of resident evil 2 and that's what yeah. i've been replaying it on with uh, with another good friend of mine uh last year now going to the uh ds version of uh resident evil 1 yes it's it's, it's i just fired the game up to uh, uh, this evening again uh before the recording and it just feels very stiff all of a sudden when uh, yeah. after, after having played That's it. Evil 1 on a DS, yeah. It's the going back thing is is the problem. Like when I first played this, I bought the PAL version very happily for 40 quid or 45 quid on in 1998 and played it through four times in four days and had an absolute blast with it. Yeah. And I hadn't played the 60 hertz version. Obviously, I played other 60 hertz games, including, you know, for years and years at the arcades and on other systems. But this was it was more normal to have games with with borders and a squashed image and a slower speed and i know we talk about it a lot particularly me but it is it is quite a big deal and it was a big deal when we started to become aware of it and it's particularly frustrating now when you have to in, in on some occasions go back and play a, an actual pal version yeah and we avoid that as far as is possible so as you'd expect we've had a fair amount of listener correspondence for this one a lot of memories it was a, a well played game sean s thomas from the forum says if my memories of the original are of isolation and jump scares this one is streets full of zombies unloading clip after clip clip of ammo into oversized crocodiles should have gone for that barrel man uh, and noisy self-destructing facilities whether it be the outfits leon and claire wear the burning flames the flickering shop sign neon the occasional abandoned bright car the national flags hanging outside the station the mosaics or the flashing red warning lights every rundown environment had something within it that caught the eye 
and lives long in a memory. The models all felt far better connected to the pre-rendered backgrounds than before too. I found the decision to change the central protagonists a stroke of genius even at the time and discovering their fate was a strong reason why I returned to the series for years afterwards. As many said with the original, my fondest memory of Resident Evil 2 is playing it with friends. I acquired a second-hand copy in my final year of university and, as was the way on Fridays when pubs and clubs were more expensive, we treated ourselves to a night in. I think they're more expensive now, aren't they? Anyway, uh, <laughs> the three of us began playing with Leon S. Kennedy at 9pm, taking it in turns to control him and finished the campaign at 2am. Then we swapped discs and played Claire's Path until the birds started singing. The overlapping story stayed with me for years, such was their cleverly interwoven moments, and this night is one of my favourite memories of that era. So uh, the development of Resident Evil 2 was, uh, was a, with a 40 to 50 person group uh, that would later be part of uh, production studio 4 at Capcom. Director Hideki Kamiya led the team. This was his first project as a director. Uh, it was mainly newer Capcom employees and uh, over half the staff from the original Resident Evil as well. In the initial stages of development, producer Mikami often had creative disagreements with Kamiya and tried to influence the team with his own direction. He eventually stepped back to an overseeing role as producer and demanded to be shown the current build once a month. Mikami believed that the game's assets were good individually but not as a, uh, satis satisfactory as a whole. Uh, and expected that everything would coalesce in the three months leading up to the uh, originally projected May 97 release date. Uh, but uh, yes, then it was scrapped at that 60% or maybe slightly more or slightly less mark. Mikami later explained that the game would not have reached the desired quality um, and criticised it for being dull and boring. Uh, Mikami planned to end the series with two, but uh, supervisor Yoshiki Okamoto at Capcom wanted the series to be, you know, ongoing and open-ended. So they were talking about a, a fictional universe that would make Resident Evil a meta-series. That's really interesting because I, yeah. I spoke to Okamoto once. Uh, oh. I, I Clang pleasure, went the pleasure name of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had the pleasure of interviewing him. Nice. And he was, uh, he, that was just when he uh, formed Game Republic uh, and uh, was, uh, uh, was close to the release of the first Genji. And he was criticizing Capcom for always releasing sequels and he just wanted to do <laughs> something new. <laughs> but he's, he's kind of a character anyway. Yeah, good stuff. During a period in which the team made no progress rewriting the scenario, Okamoto was introduced to professional screenwriter Noboru Sugimura. He was enthusiastic about the original game's story. Uh, he was initially consulted on a trial basis, but Okamoto was impressed uh, with these with which uh, Sugimura came up with solutions to problems that plagued the script and so asked him to compose the entire scenario for Resident Evil 2. So that was when the modification between uh, from Elsa Walker to Claire Redfield uh, into which was to do simply with introducing a connection, a direct connection with the characters and events of the first game. Uh, to fulfil Capcom's sales plan of 2 million copies, director Hideki Kamiya tried to attract new customers with a more ostentatious and Hollywood-like story presentation. The planners redesigned the game from the ground up to fit all these changes, and the programmers and other remaining members of the team were sent to work on the Resident Evil Director's Cut, uh, which was shipped with a playable preview of the new game in order to promote the sequel and to apologise to the players for the belated release. <laughs> Only a few assets from the original uh, Resident Evil 2, i.e. 1.5, could be recycled. Uh, and the principal locations were made to look more extravagant and artistic, uh, based on photographs taken of the interiors of Western-style buildings in Japanese cities. Uh, so the maximum number of zombies displayed on screen at one time was limited to seven, making it possible to use 450 
amazing polygons for the comparatively detailed models of Leon and Claire. Uh, and instead of the visible wounds, that was where the limping for heavy damage came in, which gave you an on-screen uh, readout, which, of course, you never had in the original Resident Evil game. You had to go into the menu. Um, so not only do they limp in this game, but if you have the Dreamcast version, you can just look at your VMU as well. Uh, yeah, so Kamiya said a few choice quotes. He, he did a, a long screen on Twitter about this. He says, I was only 25 at the time and had very little experience. I was so preoccupied with being a director, I didn't really get to enjoy the job. I also made many wrong decisions, and I'm sure you all know we had to start from scratch at some point. Fortunately, Mikami and Sugimura, as well as many other staff, came to my rescue. We were able to wrap up the project safely before unleashing it. Sugimura was old enough to be my dad, and when he looked at 1.5 in the early stages, he was the one who advised me to start over and gave us all the courage to actually do so. After that, he and I were pretty much cooped up in a meeting room for several weeks straight, yelling at each other from time to time or all the time and going out for drinks after work and yelling some more before finally wrapping up the script. I had no sense or knowledge of script writing whatsoever, so I just used my youthful vigour to push through and Sugimura was never afraid to come at me head first, which was a huge help. I learned a great many things from him and I would go on to utilise his teachings when writing the scripts for Devil May Cry, Beautiful Joe and Akami as well. Unfortunately, Sugimura passed away just as I was working on Akami. To this day, I still wonder what he would have told me if he'd had a chance to play that game. That's really sad. To escape from the stress of work, I started drinking brandy on the rocks every night, arriving at the office with a hangover the next day and sleeping in an empty meeting room during lunch. Ah, how young I was. <laughs> all of these memories are irreplaceable treasures. There is no greater honour for me than seeing how much all of you still love Resident Evil 2 to this day. I'll keep working hard so I can bring you many more games of the same calibre. I remember the day I was chosen to be the director of Resident Evil 2 very well, not too long after development on Resi 1 finished. Mikami called me into a meeting room and asked me if I was interested in being the director of Resi 2. I still don't know why Mikami chose me of all people, but I do remember that shortly after I entered the company, he invited me out for some drinks and told me this you are the dark horse of the new recruits you're either going to fail spectacularly or you're going to be a huge success after that I worked under Mikami for quite a while and I must have caused him many a headache with my sassy attitude but I'd like <laughs> to think I met his expectations at least a little so yes, the final signed off version of Resi 2 did finally come out in January 1998 in Japan and America. As I say, we had to wait until that. Uh, I'm sure it was a bank. Yeah, it was, would have been May Day bank holiday, April 29th, 1998. I still remember. Uh, game reviewed really, really well. 93 odd percent on average from 25 organs as far as I could find out. I'm sure there were many more. And it sold 5.8 million copies. Who knows how many since downloads and that sort of thing. There are a few changes in the regional uh, releases. The North American version contains more violent game over screens where the Japanese one is actually sort of self-censored. So it, it kind of fades to black before the big spurts of blood and the noshing on the corpses and that sort of thing. Um, and the game was actually made more difficult for the American version. Basically to prevent people like Sean completing it on <laughs> rental and not buying it. Uh, there was a DualShock separ uh, version separate release, which is the version uh, that you can download on PSN now in America and Europe, but the Japanese download on PSN is the original version for some reason. Uh, added DualShock uh, or analog left stick analog controls and rumble. Uh, there was a Gamecom version. Now, this is a really weird one. Just look it up. If you don't know what a Gamecom was, it was a, a, a Tiger handheld with uh, monochrome graphics. And they tried to make a fully working version of Resident Evil 2 on it. 
I don't think they really succeeded, but it's an interesting curio worth looking at footage. The first PC version came out in uh, early 99, didn't review quite as well. I think there were issues with it, technically speaking, scored around 80%. Then there was the sort of fairly legendary N64 version because it's a bit of a technical marvel in the sense that they crammed what is a game that is one gig on every other format over one gig into 64 megabytes for the N64. <laughs> Mainly by compressing the heck out of the sound and the FMV, but nonetheless it's basically fully featured, give or take one one extra mode, I think. With all the scenarios and a little bit of extra content, it's really quite amazing. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've never even seen this uh, this game in the wild or in shops. Oh, okay. Then. I do remember it's, it being... It must have been very, very hard to get. It was quite easy to get over here, yeah, but... It was, uh, yeah, it was quite... It was expensive. I mean, it was 60 quid, as you'd expect. Um, yeah, for a 256 megabit cart whatever but yes it was put together by capcom production studio 3 along with angel studios and a little help from factor 5 the the famous german studio yeah and again that reviewed pretty well obviously bear in mind this was uh, the first nintendo console resident evil game and uh, yeah reviewed at around 87 percent on average DC version came later. This was uh, fairly much a straight port of the Windows PC version because the DC had that Windows C architecture. Probably the main thing of interest about it is the VMU displaying the health of the character. Reviewed again at around 80%. Next, perhaps the this is widely regarded as the definitive edition is the GameCube version because it, com it contains... The entire game on one GameCube disc. No, this is the first version without two discs. Even the GD-ROMs on the DC version, there were two of them. Even though they, they, they held over a gig each, they weren't quite enough, apparently. The GameCube version has completely uncompressed video. Uh, it has graphics that probably surpass the previous uh, DC and PC versions. Uh, and generally, it's a, it's, a, it's a very nice version to own. All that said, it did not review very well, as it was a straight port of a previous-gen game. And so, of course, magazines were a little snooty about it, giving it 63% and it only sold about uh, 60,000 copies or something. So worth seeking out. I think the PAL version also has a 60 hertz option if my memory serves. So there was a specific Windows XP version, which is Japan only, released in uh, sometime later in February 2006. And this is the version that you will see on all the records for speedrunning because you can hammer your way through it it runs incredibly fast uh, you can also run it at the highest resolutions of any version i think and you can even sort of semi skip some of the door animations and that sort of thing so it's the fastest way to play it uh, but it, you will have to play the entire thing in english language uh, menu um, japanese language menus of course the speech and so on is all in english the same uh, game came out in 2007 japanese psn 2009 american PSN, don't know about the PAL. Uh, there's also another Curio which is worth looking up, which is a an unofficial version. It's a tech demo only for the Game Boy Advance done by a studio called Raylight. They developed this as their calling card to show what technical whizzes they were with the uh, with the Game Boy Advance in the early, uh, very early 2000s. The ROM was widely released in 2013 as well, as with uh, 1.5. And it is worth looking at. Um, it's only the very kind of opening section of the game and apparently it would already be bigger in terms of storage space than any actual released GBA cartridge. So there's no way it would have ever come out as a complete game because it would have been insanely vast. But nonetheless, it's interesting. The animation on the characters, though, is, is a bit dodge, if I'm honest. 
Right, before we get into it, Ado Potato from the forum says, After the wonderful time I had with Resident Evil in 1996, I was salivating at the prospect of a sequel, and Resident Evil 2 didn't disappoint. It took the same essential infrastructure and applied it to a much more ambitious canvas, boasting a larger play area, more on-screen enemies, and a more pronounced difference in the campaigns. The tone remained daft and schlocky, the jump scares and set pieces were every bit as potent, and from a story world point of view, it was pleasing to have the events pick up in the immediate aftermath of the first game. Overall, while this didn't leave as indelible a mark on the history of gaming in the same way as the first, I'm sure for many gamers their memories are as fond or fonder. So we should uh, issue a spoiler warning for this 20-year-old survival horror game, just in case uh, you can play through both scenarios in about uh, 10 hours or two hours if you're a speedrunner. And the canonical way to play it, I understand, is Claire A. Leon B., Uh, in that order that tells the story that is continued in subsequent adventures and paralleled in resident evil 3 nemesis first things first let's get into it i suppose you can include the 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 sort of the cg intros and presentation in 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 this but um let's talk about the the visual side of things and uh both in terms of the the art on offer and also the sort of graphics and think about it your impression of them then and now I remember when I saw these in the magazines and games were always at a run of being touched up and it wasn't uncommon. And I remember thinking that there's just no way that the game can look this good. I mean, I was impressed (laughs) by the CG backgrounds in Resident Evil 1 and these just seemed to be on a whole other level. And then I played the game and I realised that they are really quite spectacular. I'm a a huge fan of a pre-rendered backdrop and even going back and playing the start of the game through again on the Vita, and obviously the smaller screen resolution, etc., will have helped. But this was the pure release. This wasn't running through an emulator with sharpened visuals or anything, and it still really impressed me. Um, there's just something that I find incredibly appealing about the visual aspect of Raccoon City. Environmentally, I will always be a fan of the mansion and navigating that and and the the visual style of having this English-affected manor more appealing than an open city. But in terms of, like, fidelity, I find Resident Evil 2 rather quite stunning and character-wise playing the first one prior to that recording and then playing the start of this prior to this recording, mm, mm-hmm. that was a definite improvement. So, yeah, yeah I, I think Resident Evil 2 for a PS1 game is really still quite a pretty title. Now, I used I used to think, uh, or I thought uh, that Resident Evil 2 didn't make as lasting an impression on me as the first game did. But when I returned to it last year, all this, everything came back to me uh, when I started playing it. Mm-hmm. And where the first game had the creepy mansion, which was unforgettable, the second game has a lot more going on uh, in terms of environmental story- storytelling and its pre-rendered backdrops. Uh, mm. There's cha- chaos yeah. all around you when you uh, when you uh, walk through the city. Of course, there's there's fire, mm. uh, shattered windows, uh, signs of 
violence and riots and then once you're in the police station and that's where we sort of get the the creepy mansion feel back uh, at least somewhat again there is a lot in there as well i I remember the uh the briefing room with all the plastic chairs and the desks and a lot of papers just uh, laying around everywhere and again also that 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 hallway where and this is probably another moment that we'll discuss later on that hallway where you encounter the first laker uh you know the the the, sh- the shattered glass on the floor the, the blood splatters everywhere and it it everything in the in the pre-rendered backdrops tell you that a lot has happened before you have arrived on the scene mm-hmm. i am i i am a fan of actually just being able to see a screen grab of any particular area and being able to kind of tell what's happened i just feel like resident evil 2 does a fantastic job of See, telling the story of a town that has been abandoned and evacuated. Uh, yeah, and I, I would also say that it also, the game kicks off immediately subverting your expectations. Like, so the first game was kind of, you know, you walk into the mansion and then you kind of walk around the corner and then you'll, you'll find that one zombie. Yeah. And in this one, like, it kicks off, everything is on fire, things are exploding, <laughs> there's like seven yeah. zombies on your way th- through the first screen. Like, yeah. it's just, it's immediately. <laughs> just like it knows they knew what you were expecting going into this and they're just kind of like immediately throwing it at you and saying no this is going to be a much more open and much more um action uh, oriented kind of game and and they follow through with that all the way to the end i yeah. i the only thing i might disagree with you guys with and and um i'm not sure if this is where this falls in or whatever but i think I, i'm not really a big fan of the overall design of the police station Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were talking about this before the recording, and and I just, I just, I just think it's 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 ridiculous, and I, I know I'm not the only person to think that it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like this, this place makes no sense, and I know that they've tried to retcon it and say like you know oh it was an it was an art museum beforehand but i don't care yeah, there's no art no. museums where i have to op- push two stones to open a door <laughs> like sean i i i agree with you 100 percent that it's completely ridiculous but that doesn't make me love it any less sure yeah yeah i, I it's it's not like the most distracting well it's not the most distracting thing i would say about any of these games but it but it yeah. is enough to make me go like ah, that's just I, I I don't believe this exists, but we're also fighting zombies, so who cares? Uh, yeah, there may be some more on the on the sort of the layout of the police station, but mm-hmm. um, my take on the graphics is that actually, yes, they have aged pretty darn well for a PS One game. I think mm-hmm. they probably they are solved far better. There there are obviously there are lots of different ways to play this in terms of systems and monitors and things like that. I think you'll probably get the best out of it either if you want to you know if you play the recent version on digital, you probably get. You probably get the best out of it in a way on a Vita because it is shrunk down and that, you know, mm. especially if you've got one of the OLED screen Vitas, they're just yeah. really nice. Yeah. Playing it as I did on a 40 inch high def TV is not necessarily ideal. You get a big picture, you know, relatively big. I know, you know, Tony will be waving his 65 inch at me now, <laughs> right now, whatever it is. But 40 inches to me is a big screen. And there are elements of that, that that's good. But also like the FMV is kind of you can see how it's all cut up into little squares. And it's very hard to get the color balance right on an LCD compared to a CRT. So, you know, maybe the best way to play it is on original hardware. Um, as I say, lots of people swear by the GameCube version being the best looking kind of and the best, you know, optimal performance and, and all that sort of thing. So there are options. But overall, my takeaway is it has aged pretty well for a PS1 game. The polygons on rendered backdrops basically work 
not perfectly, but you know, it my my disbelief is suspended. What I will say is that some of the pre-rendered backdrops, I think have had a lot more time spent on them than others i think Mm. it's quite apparent that some of them are very expensive in terms of effort and some of them were kind of okay we need a corridor that goes from here to here in the lab um and and i think some of those look a, a little bit sparse and bare now but some of them the detail and they did again this is the things things can look different to your brain at the time because of what your expectations are and what you're used to. Back in 98, these did look almost photorealistic, these backdrops. Mm. And now looking at them, they don't look photorealistic to me. They look grainy and 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 whatever. Again, because we had the GameCube Resident Evil 1 remake in the early 2000s, uh, you know, around the time that we had this Resident Evil 2 re-released on the GameCube. I think that you know, was part of the reason that that game, you know, reviewed so mediocrely, mm. uh, you know, regardless of the quality of the game. It was like, well, we've seen how good this game, this Resident yeah. Evil can look on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. And so by comparison, it was already a bit of a kind of striking leap forward, uh, just that that one generation or yeah, uh, beyond on, on the GameCube. Even going from uh, Code Veronica to the Resident yeah. Evil remake, yeah. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting going back to that as well. Uh, and obviously there are lots of different ways to play that one too. So, but we'll save that for a future show. Suits from the forum. Nicholas says, I think there is a, there is an improvement over the first one. The backgrounds look a lot more detailed and the lighting looks sharper. But again, this is the GameCube version he's talking about, which will be enhanced over the PS1 original. So perhaps that's unfair, but not necessarily because some people... You know, you can play the GameCube version if you've got a GameCube or a Wii. So, yeah, that is an option. Uh, Tadinho says, not only did the pre-rendered backdrops look great at the time, but especially after coming back to the game many years later, it's amazing how much they help in preserving the game's atmosphere. While the 3D models and CG cutscenes have aged terribly, I would agree with that. The pre-rendered backgrounds still look as good today as they did back in 1998. I wouldn't quite agree with that. And are a vital part in preserving the game's horror aesthetic. Uh, yeah, the the CG, I remember being pretty much uh, top tier at the time. Uh, and yeah, though not so much now. It's it's well directed. And uh, I think, you know, the, yeah. the, the actual, you know, blocking and camera movements and stuff mm-hmm. are cool but the actual models like there's that bit where that where, where they spin the car around and the zombie comes out the back and it's so <laughs> it just looks so planky yeah. it's yeah. uh it, yeah and, and yeah they can look look very plasticky and rubbery the, the yeah characters. Mm-hmm. not quite connected to one another but um, yeah. but at the time it was impressive sound wise we gave the original game quite a lot of praise uh, for sort of taking things forward in terms of uh, footsteps on textures all that continues here and the gun sounds being quite punchy and yeah i don't think the sound is like in terms of the overall sound design i wouldn't say it's like a massive change from the first game i'd yeah. say it's it, yeah. it's it's like a logical uh, change in terms of scenario but actually mm-hmm. the sort of overall quality of the sound doesn't didn't strike me as being like a you know a whole leap forward in the same way as maybe some of the graphics did it was more no. in terms of uh, there were there are more effects this time around at times it felt like they were trying to be a bit too clever i think i mentioned in the uh, podcast for the first one that when you run on the carpet in the main hall and then the marble and i remember being yeah. absolutely blown away by <laughs> the two yeah. uh, sounds and then there's the bit later on in this game where you're in the sewers and you're running across the gate uh, the grates mm. and the concrete mm-hmm. and the constant change in sounds kind of to this day drive me mad 
Oh. <laughs> um, because of the way that it mixed. And then they had several uh, different sounds for the grates and then the one sound for the concrete. And it ends up sounding like some ridiculous kind of dance track because <laughs> you're doing this strange zigzag run as you I know the tended one, to do yeah. on a lot. Yeah. I still love the slushing through the water feel and yeah. sound, yep. though. And, yes. the, uh, and also just some of the spot effects, like when the jewel drops out of the hand, it makes a very mm-hmm. sort of delicious rattly noise. And I think, you know, there's some good foley, whether, whether it's library stuff or whether it's specifically recorded, I'm not sure. But uh, I think it's unique to the game. How about the music? Uh, so it's I find the music very catchy and memorable. All of it. I mean that that particular uh, motif um, that you hear over and over again is completely lodged in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't actually find the music as personally as creepy or as atmospheric as the first game. I realise that's partly mm. sort of it ties in with the setting. Um, it's cool uh, and memorable, but it doesn't quite give me the same sort of level of emotion as as that of the first game. No, there's a slight unease in it, but it's yeah. not as bone chilling as no, yeah. uh, the music in the f- in the first Resident Evil could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say like the game or the music in in Resident Evil One was like probably scarier, whereas the music in Resident Evil Two is a little bit more mysterious. Yeah. Um. I. I but I. I'd also find that the music in in the second game as a whole is a lot more um unified i guess is the way, way i would put it to where right. like, i was saying in like the first game like it would kind of jump from like a weird like a synthy horror soundtrack to like in some yeah. cases it was like a kind of final fantasy-ish almost you're like, right when you're, when yeah. it sounds like snakes. more of a coherent soundtrack I agree. exactly yeah yeah until like the very end when it brings in that i, I almost think is that the same music from the from the not quite done music in the first game it's not quite okay think, so it's no like, i think it's a slight variation yeah um, but even so that that song kind of sticks out but it's i guess it's meant to like this the sequence is and is a different sequence than the rest of the game but i just I, I like that it's a little bit more cohesive this time around a little background the music for resident evil 2 is composed by masami ueda shusaku uchiyama and Sunishi gaki with one song the underground laboratory composed by naoshi mizuta in his role as lead composer, Ueda provided the motifs, while Uchiyama was responsible for the horror-themed music used for the investigation and movie scenes. So it was a collaboration, uh, mm-hmm. but it was obviously a, a coherent one. I wonder how much of the music was canned between 1.5 hmm. and 2, or yeah. whether whether they actually felt that the music they'd already produced was, you know, fitting for Solid the new, enough, slightly yeah. new settings. Yeah. Any thoughts on this uh, soundtrack, Carl? it doesn't give you the kind of uneasiness that the first game did. And I think mm. a lot of that does stem from Kamiya being a director, just not actually liking horror. Yeah. Whereas Mikami was a ridiculous fan of horror movies. Uh, Kamiya yeah. actually states that when the first game was being made, he was handed a list of 30 to 40 horror movies uh, that Mikami told him to watch and he watched Dawn of the Dead. And that was kind of, that was him done. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> he's, Far more from the action side of, yeah. of movies. So yeah. it kind of understands why the yeah. music would fit more that kind of tone. Yeah, we had quite a few bits of correspondence sort of suggesting that this was the Aliens or Terminator 2, the James Cameron mm. type sequel, <laughs> you know, bigger, better, yeah. harder, faster, more, rather than the yeah the atmospheric original kind of thing. I know Cameron actually directed Terminator 1 as well, but you get the point. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, it was it was interesting also just slightly going going back to the uh to the graphics and uh, the CG rented cutscenes. That first opening is quite a cracker with the zombie in the car and the the truck uh coming up behind <laughs> and the way that's uh, that's set up, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. The big, the big it, crash in the end. Uh, oh, yeah. you can recognize Camilla's hand in this early mm-hmm. because yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's this sign of uh, kind of overblown 
action action scene that he would constantly uh, build up upon in, in later games that he would direct. Definitely. K-Sub-Zero, 1000 from the forum, says other games have had much more impressive orchestral scores since then, but every track in this game somehow manages to arrive at exactly the right moment and perfectly sets the mood. Full props to Ueda and the others for achieving so much with so little. Well said. So the scenario itself, the main addition over the preceding game is the so-called zapping system. I always like it when they give uh, <laughs> Japanese developers names. in particular give a give a gimmicky <laughs> name to to something uh, by which each of the two playable characters are confronted with different puzzles and storylines in their respective scenarios after finishing the A scenario with one protagonist the B scenario in which the events are depicted from the other character's perspective is unlocked as Mikhail just alluded to of course the characters are split up by this uh, zombie truck driver crash in the opening section and your game Claire or Leon's game starts from either side of that crash uh, the player has the option of starting with the A scenario with either of the two protagonists, depending on which uh, disc you put in with the two disc versions, um, resulting in a four, uh, total of four different scenarios. As I said, played through them day after day that weekend. Actions taken during the first playthrough will affect the second. For example, the availability of certain items may be altered. Psycho Hype from the forum says, I'd say Capcom really nailed both the tone and scope for Resident Evil 2. Even as the setting moved from a macabre rural mansion to a more urban setting, the game retained the right style of unsettling creepiness inside the police station. And I can't imagine that was an easy feat to pull off. It also enlarged the scope of the game without going overboard. The short journey from the game's starting point to the police station was a clever way to reveal the widespread devastation of Raccoon City, while making first-time players momentarily feel like they had truly arrived at a kind of sanctuary location in the midst of an urban hellscape. The ideas the game retained from the original, the puzzles, the action and the finding of keys to unlock new areas within the main location were well implemented once again. And the ideas it introduced, the liquors, the expanded branching narrative of the second playthrough with Mr. X as the proto-nemesis, all worked pretty well too. Anything further on the overall setting scenario type of stuff, gentlemen? I'm really not sure how I feel about uh, all of this. <laughs> um Okay. On, on on the one hand, I can admire that they put all this work into the zapping system and mm-hmm. all these like different stories, but I yeah. kind of don't know like why they did it. Like, what's okay. the point of having like different stories? Like, I know like they they sometimes they kind of interconnect, but they it doesn't make sense. Like like the, the both times both a scenarios start off like the same way like you have to go in get yeah. the the medallion put the thing and get the key out of that like it's all yeah so so it really doesn't connect it's just two it's almost like a parallel universe kind of thing yeah well the major differences are between a and b um uh or, sorry or claire, claire and leon aren't they so you could mm-hmm. have just had yeah. separate but yes yeah, so the, the a and b thing is is a kind of layer upon layer thing and then as we said only mm-hmm. one of those orders makes this canon. canon right yeah, yeah. so I, I just, it is curious weird. like it's i just cool I, that they did it yeah i was guess i was always so impressed but impressed by how clever it was i'd never actually thought yeah why <laughs> why did they do that i think it said the why they did it is they uh mikami already had plans to do this with the first resident evil like made it make this the stories play off of each other yeah which they right. don't do at really at all in the first game so i think uh, that that's probably something he passed on to kamiya as a mm. as a kind of a challenge to to work mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. 
I really love this concept actually, and I was not aware of it when I first started playing it in in '98. Uh, no. I was thinking this was going to be uh, the same as Resident Evil One, that mm. you would just play the game with a different character and have a few different cutscenes and uh, mm-hmm. uh, some yeah. some different challenges. Yeah, along me too. The way. Yeah. So when I learned about it, I was really stoked to one day uh, go back to this game and see mm. what more there was to offer, and there are. A lot of differences between the the four scenarios. Um, this time we uh, I played uh, Leon A because the first time we played we played Claire A, so I mm. wanted to see what that was like, mm. and then Claire B of course after that. And I remember there there uh, in uh, Leon A and Claire B, there, you'll never confront uh, Chief Irons in his uh, disgusting mm-hmm. mutated right. form, for example, until the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and Sherry till the end. So that whole whole part is also very different. So there, there are a myriad of differences, uh, which makes it really fascinating to me, actually. Yeah, and of course you I can think... just play one character A and one character yes. and yeah, B sure. and, and just leave it, and that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah. you, you only need to do more if yeah, if you really if you want to, and just see the yeah. slight variations. There is one canonical playthrough. Although my assumption was when I first played it that uh, you did Leon first because it was like the, he was the disc in the left disc and, one, he was, right, and I think yeah. it was disc yes. one so yeah. actually yeah. They, they kind of I think they possibly deliberately uh, guided you towards playing it the wrong way first <laughs> so that you kind yeah. of had the <laughs> need to play it once again afterwards but the idea again you get ranking you can unlock stuff by getting mm-hmm. you need to play all four through to unlock uh, the four survivor things like that because you need mm-hmm. to get enough uh, a ranking or one A and several Bs or something. I can't remember the exact criteria. So they did put reasons in there to keep on trucking through. And as with the first game, I think the intention was it, this game was built. We're going to talk speed running separately, but this game was built with with replay value in mind and yeah. going through it faster and faster and and more you know more optimally. I think th- there is a staggering amount of content in the game compared to so many others of mm-hmm. that era and definitely over the things that were in the first. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Fourth Survivor and then you've got obviously passing all that because everyone needs to play a Tofu Survivor <laughs> um, and then you've got the four scenarios. It, it It's kind of incredible even now thinking yeah. about the amount of things that are in this game. Yeah, and especially given that it was uh, they you know they binned it all right, right you know, yeah. late in yeah, development. So they could it would have been it would have been understandable if they'd come out with a far less ambitious and feature packed product, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I think people would have been all right with it if they'd just come out with a game that was uh two discs but it was just an adjoined an adjunctive you know, story, a contiguous story. So you play Leon mm-hmm. and then you play Claire and it's one side and then the other. It's inspired by Back to the Future 2. There you go, yeah. Which obviously a film which, uh, Back to the Future Part 2, where they uh, kind of revisit the events of the first film. And uh, and then, yeah, and that's it. You're out of there. Maybe you unlock a, you know, a battle mode or something. But actually they stuffed in a whole bunch of, yeah, variants yeah. and extra content. I think it's preci- precisely this scope and ambition that impresses me, uh, me so much about uh, Resident Evil yeah. 2 and w- what makes it stand on its own next to the original and the remake as an equally strong piece of video game work in its own right. Yeah. So, notoriously, the original Resident Evil uh, had some outstanding voice work. We talked about why that uh, <laughs> why that happened and what we thought of it and how iconic it had become for, for good or ill. I remember I, I remembered in that show how Edge recommend, uh, sort of pointed out at the time that uh, while while it wasn't exactly Shakespeare, I think was the quote, uh, Resident Evil 2, things had come on a long way. And I think, 
yeah, it's certainly not exactly Shakespeare. There's still some absolute howling lines in it, a load of cheese. Um, <laughs> it looks like your party has been cancelled. And Ada... <laughs> And all that stuff. Yeah, the melodrama. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of that. There's lots of yeah nonsense and cheese. But overall, it's kind of like, it reminds me more of a really bad, cheap, low-budget American B-movie from, the, say, the 60s or 70s, which makes perfect mm. sense. There, you know, there really are some howlingly sort of clunky films out there. If you go back and seek out, you know, exploitation films and, and things like that, there's some astonishingly, uh, you know, kind of cheesy performances. And, and I would say this, you know, if you've ever seen like Troll 2, the legendary kind of cheese fest, this, sure, this stuff yeah. here is actually not quite as sort of horrendous as that. So, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of, I think it's it's clunky as hell and cheesy, but it, it basically... Yeah, it puts you in a place, but don't expect to be um, moved by the emotional scenes or or <laughs> fall in love with Ada along with Leon or anything like that. That would be my <laughs> takeaway from it. How could you not fall in love with Ada? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that relationship is so deep. Yeah, yeah. So they used an all Canadian voice cast for this one. Again, as with the first game, they decided to have uh, the English language as a, as we discussed in the previous. Uh, Resident Evil podcast they did actually record Japanese voices but they were so unhappy with it they went with the English ones because it didn't sound as bad to them as it did to us is is what we we uh, estimate happened this time they went for all English from the start because they were continuing on and it was this was this established thing um, I don't think any of the the voice talent involved has I could be wrong. Um, I, I don't want to speak. I don't recognise too many of the names. Paul Haddad plays Leon Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Alison Court plays Claire Redfield. Diego Matamores, William Birkin, and so on. Uh, I'm not sure these these names are not household to me, but they may have gone on to you know TV careers or whatever. I think Alison Court did, didn't she? She did a bunch of X Men related animated TV characters. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Um, Hideki Kamiya said about this specific element, I have so many memories about Resident Evil 2. It also marked the first time that Capcom uh, for recording English voiceovers overseas. So we were figuring out stuff as we went along. It was my first time going abroad for work. I vividly remember on that first day, we arrived at the studio in Canada. Our interpreter suddenly said, I've got stomach aches. I'm going back to the hotel. So I basically had to direct the voice recording session with gestures and broken English. During the session, I added Claire's line, Chris, I have to find you without getting Sugimura's approval. And since he was already writing the story for Code Veronica, he yelled at me because he had to change the script just because of that line. (laughs) Causing trouble wherever we went. Suits on the forum said, I I don't feel as interested in the story or characters this time around. Maybe it's the setting of this game or what to me feels like a lesser compelling mystery surrounding the whole affair. It's like I've now seen the monster and I'm no longer wowed by it. So the characters of Leon and uh, and Claire, they're quite quite interesting in a way. In in some ways they're subversive, uh, and in some ways they yeah. aren't. I like how Leon is kind of the naive rookie rookie cop mm-hmm. uh, who, who who you know trusts <laughs> trusts a totally du- dubious uh, character with his life and chases after her for no apparent reason. 
and and claire is basically the super tough sassy biker chick who doesn't take any nonsense and Mm. spouts spouts action hero one-liners at uh massive hulking monstrosities like mr x yeah and uh, and william birkin uh so that's kind of subversive but then of course claire in her scenario has to take care of a little girl you know the whole whole motherly yes so that's uh that's kind of typical again yeah and uh and and uh and leon uh gets to chase the hot chick so yeah you know maybe right, it would have been right. more interesting if claire would be chasing the hot chick instead i mean and, uh... leon did have to wait <laughs> two well technically three more games to go and look after yeah a young female character sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah true enough and, well i suppose and, it was his next game yeah. it's fair yes. fair to say also that uh, leon hadn't quite found his uh, his sass yet yeah no he's sure. basically yeah. an idiot uh, and which <laughs> yeah. I was very disappointed about. I, I have a I have a Leon and a liquor uh, action figure that I was bought by my girlfriend of the time twenty years ago, and uh, mm. still got those. They're probably quite collectible now. I don't know, but um, yeah. And I was thinking, hey, this is cool, really cool game. This massive sequel to this massive game, Resident Evil Two. Finally, there's a character called Leon. Turns out he's complete novelty. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Maybe it's all too fitting. I would say that the generally speaking, though, that the voice acting is like a little bit better this yeah, time around yeah. but but not as memorable yes. to me like 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 yeah. like like I was saying before in the last episode like it's the it's that voice acting is so bad you just like you can't even replicate how yeah, bad yeah, yeah. that voice you acting is and, it's and so here bad it's you like, embrace it <laughs> that's the thing yeah yeah and in this time around it's like you can tell that these are probably a little bit more uh seasoned yeah. <laughs> to use they a, may have been a, in a recording actors. studio before <laughs> right yeah <laughs> the thing the thing with leon is that whenever I'd seen promo pictures of him, I thought, you know what, he actually looks kind of cool. I like the fact that he's a police officer. He's wearing his blue vest, and I thought he was going to uh, be like Murphy. In I, I thought he was going, yeah, I thought he was going to be this really <laughs> cool character. And I, I started playing it, and it dawned on me pretty quick where I was like, oh no, he's a complete doyle. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is stupid i don't mind playing as him though you know there's 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 i've played as characters i've liked even less than than leon kennedy he's yeah. just a bit of a a, 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 a numpty that's, that's the at, le- at least until resident evil mm. 4 where he is a badass yeah, he gets better. more so <laughs> yes yeah, he's still got the still got the floppy hair but uh <laughs> still better a jacket bit, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah but he was only given the floppy hair wasn't he because originally he was going to have short hair but they wanted to differentiate his look from chris redfield yeah so he does sure. have an excuse <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah can't have two characters with the same haircut um yeah, so obviously uh, it's going to come up again, and we talked about it a fair amount in the Resident Evil 1 show. The controls uh, are mm. as you'd expect. They don't change much from the original. This hasn't got an auto-lock at all, has it, this time? So you can't even tap a shoulder button to auto-aim in this one, or certainly not the version I was playing. There are a couple of really important quality of life, I think we call them now, uh, mm-hmm. which was not a phrase that was in the gaming lexicon that long ago, but... Uh, the fact that you can see your position on the map is so helpful. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a little yeah. arrow and also the arrows, the yep. doors, sorry, are color coded that roughly uh, sort of correlate with the keys that you get. So uh, they haven't right. got, it's not quite as straightforward as having the actual symbol, but they've got, they give you a clue. Um, and that really helps uh, getting around as well. So that that's not quite, that's, that's Definitely. UI rather than control, but the controls basically are identical to the first game. Um, so some people will despise them I've kind of become inured to the problems that there are but yes I definitely still had moments I particularly think there's only two or three block pushing puzzles in this game but 
they're still really mm-hmm. annoying because lining yourself up in with a weird camera angle, mm-hmm. um, you know, just getting that in ex- that exact right place, and then you, he won't push the block because he's already calculated that it won't go past the edge of that <laughs> thing, and. Yeah, and the sort of sliding around the edge of screens, tapping the X uh, cross button, hoping yep. that there's a Every secret, time. there's a secret box of ammo or something. <laughs> I'm completely used to it. I've been doing it for over twenty years. Is it actually elegant? No. No. I mean, the the block sliding puzzles are and always have been an issue in the Resident Evil uh, series. At least, well, the early ones definitely, where things had to line up so square because obviously the mm. way that the system was. Um, I'll always remember the puzzle in the septic tank line in the three boxes up, filling it and crossing kind of thing. <laughs> I yeah. really, really dislike that puzzle, and it's not even that difficult. Yeah. It's just I really don't like it. I don't like its design. Yeah. Anything else to be said on the, 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 the controls, or did we say it all before, and then we are we going to say it all again anyway? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they, they're, yeah, as you said, they're, they're pretty much all the same. Something about it, I, I can't pinpoint it. It feels tighter to me this time around. Yeah, it um, does. Just even, even like, just like, like the actual just turning while running kind okay. of thing. I just felt like I was it able to maneuver the zombies. Yeah. I was putting that down to the 60 hertz thing, but there might be more to it. Oh, yeah, could be, yeah. No, it definitely does. Um, it's interesting be- uh, because we established in uh, the episode on Resident Evil 1 that it kind of, it's almost like how to translate a point-and-click pix- pixel hunt adventure into uh, mm-hmm. a directly controlled character. Right. Whereas it's interesting to see that they just took over the control scheme as a whole uh, without mm-hmm. uh, attempting any major major changes there. Uh, even though the game became a little bit more focused on action this time around, there are, mm. there are larger groups mm. of enemies. Yeah, more, surprisingly more large. Around. I still get taken by surprise by some of the areas uh, where yeah. there's six or seven or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I yeah. remember our first playthrough, we actually had to restart it because we just shot too many zombies and uh, we're out of ammo at, the, at one point back in uh, Wow, I can't believe anyone ran out of ammo in this game. There's like so much ammo. Yeah, but if, <laughs> you, if you want to take out every enemy, there's not enough, uh, sure, yeah. not enough for yeah. that. I suppose that ties in with the the slightly more actiony feel but actually yeah I, I, yeah it's still particularly the fact that you can uh, like you can pick up the shotgun in Leon's A scenario either when Kendo gets taken down in the gun shop or and you can end up with two shotguns basically so like it really wants you to have the shotgun very early on and so on and then the magnum pops up I think earlier than the previous game as well yep. but Leon doesn't get the grenade launcher for example whereas Claire gets grenade launcher and bow quite early on as well but yes uh Tadinho says actually firing guns in this game feels way better than resident evil one to me um i don't i didn't yeah maybe um you don't pop heads like you do in the director's cut although you can still mm-hmm. blast heads off with a shotgun they both have their own way of dealing with being grabbed uh, leon stamps claire uh, hoofs heads uh, off <laughs> um this is the this is the, is this first game where you got a uh, power up, uh, you know, augmentations for your gun, so you can get the handgun mm-hmm. parts for mm-hmm. Leon, which uh, give you a yeah. triple shot and and better aiming, I think, uh, and the the custom shotgun, which makes it considerably more powerful. So that's quite that stuff I found very satisfying, and uh, some of it's actually kind of off the main path as well, so you actually have to go. You have to go seeking it out. Yep. So mm-hmm. there's reasons to do more than just take the optimal line, as it were. K-Sub-Zero 1000 says the combat feels smoother and more responsive than in its predecessor, and the heavier focus on action gives an interesting insight into where Kamiya's career would later take him. 
I think that the Lickers are probably the best survival horror enemies ever created thanks to their strong and memorable visual design as well as their mechanical ingenuity. They're completely blind, in fact, and will not attack you unless alerted to your presence by a way of running or shooting. Sneaking past several of them while low on health through careful positioning and patience can be an incredibly tense and gripping experience. Uh, yeah, and the game really plays into this whole dodging stuff as did the first game to an extent like you say there is a lot of ammo but actually if you want to play the game through faster actually not shooting stuff is the way forward i watched the world record speed run and he fires about six shots in the entire game like most 99 percent of the time he's swerving 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 through location after location and just doing the minimum interactions now obviously that isn't the natural way to play but it is a way to play and i think the fact that 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 section in the street opens up with you yes. needing to kind of swerve through things is your yep. your mm -hmm. Nintendo style tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Brown says, by the time I played Resident Evil 2, I was older, wiser and more cynical than the scared little boy sitting in the dark after being abandoned by his brother. See previous uh, podcast for that story. <laughs> Zombies had become rote and predictable. The awkward dialogue and crude character models were amusing rather than off-putting. As though aware that this may happen, Resident Evil 2 was prepared for me. When I rounded a corner in the Raccoon City Police Department, I saw a creature creep by the window i was unnerved i was accustomed to a crash of glass and the swell of tense music when a cerberus leapt through a window the first sighting of a liquor deliberately subverted that expectation a fleeting glimpse accompanied only by the faintest clicking of its claws on the side of the building followed by a tense silence i stood motionless staring at that window waiting for the jump scare that never came <laughs> It was an anti-jump scare and scarier than anything else in the entire video game. It took several minutes of stealing my nerves before I could walk through that door and view that iconic first appearance of a liquor on the ceiling. Yeah, I do remember it. Uh, yeah, it, it's a brilliant moment. Yeah, there's another camera angle as well, isn't there, where it's like the window. There's one one room where you're looking, where the camera's outside the window, looking in at the yeah. character, mm -hmm. and that, that, that that's was... right when you go through that door. Yeah, right? you hear the yeah. blood dripping mm -hmm. already from that. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that worked that worked for me there's all there's yeah, a couple the, of moments that's you know there's uh hack zombie hands through the through the barriers and you can actually mitigate against that again by doing something that's off the the beaten path by shutting uh shutting the shutters uh which was yeah. quite cool and my favorite room still in any resident evil is the two-way mirror room uh <laughs> which uh which where a liquor bursts <laughs> through when you pick up an item that, that's a real jump scare that's yeah that that first that's on the first playthrough i'll never forget that and uh last year when i was playing it uh, together with my friend we actually cleared out the room next to it yeah. in the b scenario yeah so there was a liquor in that in the room next to it and the game totally screwed with us because i thought like okay we took out that liquor now we go into the the the, <laughs> the other the other side so that can't jump through the window anymore it still did. Yeah, there's a few little <laughs> tricks that the, the game pulls. Actually, I just I I wasn't screaming like I did when I first uh, had the dogs uh, <laughs> no right through the window at me, but I let out a a very heartfelt curse. When yeah, I the the game definitely <laughs> does the on the spot jump scares a lot less than the first game yeah. did, and yeah. that, that that's an intentional decision. Apparently, they were told off for overplaying. The, uh, the jump scares mm. and to try and be a little bit smarter about how they approached the horror, which is kind of funny because it feels not like a horror game for the vast majority. But one thing I really did like is when you open a door and you see the zombie coming through the door, which obviously 
never happened in the first game. That's and right. You spend, and it happens so early on that you spend the rest of the game yes. waiting for it to happen again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to mention that one. That's that's a cool one. And uh, I think some people then going back to the first game misremembered that it happened in the first game but of course it doesn't and then they again we talked about them playing with the dogs through the door trick and of course they do that in in the remake so yeah lots of little stuff like that um there's a section where uh well you you get to a certain point and essentially they just repopulate the halls with zombies and it shows you it shows you this happening so like see yeah you've had you've been you've been backtracking and running backwards and forwards through these corridors this police station too easily so you know how you thought you had loads of ammo well here's like 17 zombies in uh, in corridors mm-hmm. again and there's sometimes you know there might not be a reason to go back but depending on what you've collected and what you haven't there might be and so it's a case of then either weaving back through or using some of your precious bullets on to a talk about uh, the puzzles and the pacing and the progress uh, through the game. K-Sub-0-1000 again says, while Resident Evil 2 does adopt the barebone structure of its predecessor, I think it makes the best out of it thanks to its strong directional flow and impeccable pacing. What makes this game truly stand out to me is it's in its sense of steady progression, and I often find myself playing through it from beginning to end, A and B, in one session without saving. It has this fantastic motivational quality to it, like you're always a few minutes away from the next iconic jump scare, boss fight or location. Playing through this game makes me feel like I'm following these characters on their adventure and motivates me to help them overcome their hurdles. Yeah, I was struck by this revisiting this game. It made sense to me again. While I wouldn't necessarily be as motivated to play it four times in a row, 20 years on, and I've got lots of other things to do and whatever, it's the yeah the pacing and the drip feed of items and the drip feed of events just uh, is i think sublime in this one uh, it feels so even and so compelling even now to this day 20 years on yeah i would say the 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 pacing is definitely um improved in the first one uh, but i i think that comes at the sacrifice of the puzzles yeah. I think the the puzzles generally are just they're i don't even know why they're even there half the time like it's just kind of so like the 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 one puzzle where the statue's holding the red um, mm-hmm. gem, and there's two there's two smaller um, statues next to it, and you just gotta push yeah. them left and right. And like it that's basically it. Tells the, the whole, you the whole solution's well, right yeah. there in the yeah. room. Yeah, that too. And then there's the one towards the end of the game in the in the lab where um, you have to turn on the power of this thing, and it says so. You go into another room, and you walk up to this machine and it says, "Oh, if I had a fuse case, it'd be perfect." You turn right around. <laughs> There it in is. In the same room. There it is right there. You pick it up, yeah. you turn around, put it in the thing, you're done. Yeah. Like this like so why do you even have to go through all this stuff really? It's just kinda like it just feels like well, we have to have puzzles here. We had them yeah. in the first mm-hmm. game. Um and so to me, like that's just kind of a bummer. Because I, I as 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 simple as the puzzles are in, in Resident Evil One, at least it took some kind of thought process. Yeah, and sometimes. there was some, some variety behind that. Yeah, Th- yeah, this is already the point where uh, Resident Evil puzzles become about uh, slotting things in other uh, objects. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Apart, so there's like two or three crate puzzles, a bunch of find mm-hmm. the coin and you know the token, the medallion, the whatever. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. nothing. I can't think, yeah, I can't think there's anything vaguely oblique. I mean, even the bookshelf puzzle, yeah. it's like you fall, you, have, you know, you, you, you go up the stairs to take a look at the, the layout of these bookshelves that have got right. lights on them. Yeah. You fall down a hole and fall it shows through. you how to do the yeah. bookshelves. And then you go yeah. around to the front <laughs> yeah. of the bookshelves yeah. and press two buttons. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, that was a But at puzzle. the same time, I, I, 
Yeah, and so at the same time, like, I, so I, I, I mourn for the puzzles, but I do think by doing those, by making those puzzles so easy, it helps the pacing tremendously. So you yeah. can get to the next scene. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you yeah. take one and leave the other. I remember getting stuck several times in the first game and how to solve puzzles, mm-hmm. whereas I breezed through the second game. And I think that is a result because the puzzles really aren't that tough. Um, yeah. uh, but ultimately, there is no real memorable puzzle to me from that game. Mm. I think the one I remember the most is... Uh, just running back through the sewers and dropping the canister, the crocodile picking it yeah. up, and you have your sort of brody yeah. moment of just yeah. blowing this yeah. alligator up really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not doing what Sean S. Thomas did and just, just keep piling clip after clip, clip into it. That's an option. Which, which oh, is man, an option. Really? Um, but yeah, there, there's no real, like you say, crazy puzzles out there. And thankfully for Sean, there's not mm-hmm. a washing machine in sight. So. Yep, I knew it was coming. Oh, coming. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, it's a rare moment of uh, of Kana Rince uh, sledging, and yeah, good good yeah. job though. I like it. Uh, uh, Suits again says puzzles seem lighter to me in this one and less story based. I don't know the legitimacy of the puzzles felt more at home in a creasy, creepy secluded mansion than it did in an inner town police station. It also feels like that there's less of a branching path or illusion of at very least. It's perfectly plausible to not find out work out that you uh, can weaken plant 42 in the first one with the poison rather than using a stack of ammo to kill it. Uh, I guess that the crocodile sort of takes that. Qualifies. That yeah. Qualifies. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember there being any similar scenarios in this game. Or maybe I just didn't find them. Yeah, but that's it. Maybe maybe you just shot the crocodile. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's a few things like there's um, you have to turn on some anti bio weapon gas to weaken something. But it is just right, it is yeah. just another button push. And this stuff we're talking about the the sort of craziness of the police station. So you could almost say, why didn't they just take out any of the nonsensical puzzles and just have it, just have key cards and keys and normal stuff, safe combinations, okay, but jewels and medallions and paintings that you set on fire and stuff, maybe that stuff should have just been, like, (laughs) left out or they could have had all the, you know, they could have had more stuff in the lab section with with computers and passwords and things like that, but again, Mm -hmm. it's just a case, find Mm -hmm. the document, type in this password, there is no password, I don't even have to type in a password. (laughs) Yeah, mental. Um, (laughs) But but then it would have, they would have massively slowed down the end of the game and then the pacing would have been really weird because actually what happens is the end of the game you, you end up you know really dashing about a lot uh, and yeah, yeah. I think the boss fights are actually slightly more tail end heavy aren't they it feels like the the sort of the, the mm-hmm. more of the, the the fights with the with the big bads come in the latter half of the game whereas yeah. for a mm-hmm. long period in the first game you've actually got fairly empty corridors much of the time and and yeah it's um it's not an overly difficult game i wouldn't have said uh but even once mm-hmm. once you do get the bosses you you kind of we know from resident evil history now that if you've got a few magnum bullets they're not going to take that many to take them out mm-hmm. let's talk a little more about the intertwining scenarios uh Camilla said because i was so young i wasn't afraid to do anything so i set some big goals for myself recklessly introducing the zapping system which suddenly forced us to put the game on two discs instead of one in the final stage of development <laughs> i love it. he's such a maverick 
crazy. Ksub zero one thousand says, "I really like the way the scenario zapping system works. While you are mostly traversing the same locations, the four scenarios have enough little differences to make them feel distinct from one another. My favorite element has to be the two different antagonists, with the uh, A scenarios focusing on G and the Bs on Mister X." restarting the game with the opposite character and being greeted by a completely new and implacable monster who follows you throughout the entire game is a stroke of genius. Yeah, and it busts through doors and walls as well. Yeah, and obviously this is hugely expanded upon in the next game we're covering in a series. I guess people liked this idea. Uh, Yeah. Tadinho, conversely, says, I have one issue with the game it's scenario b which is a lot weaker than a in my opinion while a lot of people like mr x and he's certainly scary the first time he shows up he never really felt like much of a threat to me even the first time i played it as a child and even this design is kind of boring to look at for me comparing to the much more interesting william birkin and his constant evolutions mr x just feels like a distraction to me he's a concept that would only be fully realized in the next game yeah i would agree with the especially with the visual style of of mr x he's just like a big hulking guy in a trench coat True. Like, like it just compared to birkin too who keeps evolving throughout the entire Eyeballs, game things and just crazier from and crazier yeah. i do I, I did find him threatening yeah I, I kind of like it that he doesn't look like uh the, the usual uh malformed uh bioweapon you know but some, something a little mm-hmm. bit more sophisticated and he had more of a sense of mystery around him he was some some bre- mm-hmm. some brainless howling monstrosity uh, mm. or mutation uh, following you yeah. around yeah that's fair yeah. also speaking about william birkin and his constant evolutions mm. uh, as Tudinho said this is also i think the moment where uh, resident evil's uh, famous body horror really jumped off uh yeah. we would see yeah. that the crazy transformations the uh, new limbs forming uh mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. we would see that in many games in the in the series uh, afterwards and uh, yeah. kind of oh, almost yeah. became its defining mm. uh defining fi- uh quality yeah, yeah totally yeah. even up to last year like yeah. <laughs> yeah. every single game has dealt well with i suppose you know if you start with a bog standard bloke who's died and come back to life you have to kind of how do you <laughs> yeah, ramp it up yeah. you can't just you, you can't up, just yeah. have more zombies and more zombies especially not with technical you know like you can do that in films like sure, world yeah. z kind of goes with that in to some extent but uh, mm-hmm. in in games obviously then the character drama is is not what what it is in you know say 28 days later or even the walking dead so you've got to do something so what do you do well you do body horror don't you you do big monsters you do eyeballs Mm -hmm. and things sprouting out of people because yeah you've got to have something to shoot at basically um (laughs) something to intimidate and what i will say is that you know talking about we often give ps1 era graphics a a bit of a hard time because well because we Mm -hmm. all honestly feel we generally honestly feel that they haven't aged tremendously well and i think that that's quite true here i think while um i don't remember being actually you know icked out by william birkin back in 98 but it was certainly more imposing to see those fleshy Mm -hmm. tendrils and polygons splurging about on the screen in in 1998 when i hadn't seen you know high def high res graphics in in you know played whatever um in more recent times uh now it does just look a little silly uh yeah i was kind of icked out by just the implication maybe not as much uh, the way the way it's uh, depicted one-on-one displayed or depicted and 
also just the sheer imagination behind his transformations like i was just mm-hmm. you know just morbidly fascinated yeah. uh, looking at what he would turn into next you know what kind of appendixes and and uh, and and, <laughs> and uh, cavities he would spread yes, next i suppose teeth, more teeth and with eyes and it's like you know you don't want you, it's this kind of thing where you actually don't want to look but you just yeah, you you get yeah, this this yeah. morbid morbid fascination. Going it's more on. like um, yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing and the work that uh, is it Rob Bottin Bottin did in in that film. Uh, I forget the 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 true like insane body horror where yeah things are actually yeah eyeballs are coming out of eyeballs and <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a bit more now about the the oddness about the situation we've we've definitely uh, we touched upon this but uh case of zero has a few questions about uh, you know he, uh, I think I think he he likes the game overall but he has a few questions why would a police station have such a bizarre layout even as a repurposed art museum why is leon falling in love with a woman he's only exchanged a handful of sentences with over the course of 2 hours What's with the insanely dark subtext of G. Birkin being driven by his desire to impregnate Sherry, his daughter? Why does Mr. X magically disappear as soon as you leave the room? The whole, uh, that was the first, um, in our first playthrough in, uh, in 98, that whole implication uh, that uh, William Birkin wants to in, impregnate his kid daughter. That was, that's something that I found Gen- uh, genuinely sick and twisted mm-hmm. it was one of these moments that kind of made you look different at video games for me you know to have right. that sort of dark uh, implications uh, in in your uh, yeah. your little little toy game you know it's uh, certainly more uh, uh, down a, a devious uh, sinister path than anything we'd seen perhaps in Resi before we had a lot of fun we were talking about the flavor text of the first game and how iconic it's become and again I think the flavor text in this game is is while it's, there's nothing as memorable as as in the first game again uh, mm-hmm. the translation work is again I think it's superior to the the script translation the dialogues translation i don't know why that happens but yeah it's like it, it's it just seems to be you yeah. know of of a superior quality of english um but yeah this this particular subplot is is probably the the most twisted thing in resi to this point at least and possibly ever i mean you know incest is kind of yeah and yeah, pedophilia is <laughs> yeah it's the, the, it don't Not get okay. much don't yeah. get much darker than that really yeah, yeah. I, I think generally speaking even even towards this as well like i think as far as our all of his questions you know i I jokingly say video games but i honestly like it's just like i think the writing at that time just video game writing in general just wasn't nearly on the level that you know we saw in in tv and film and so i think like stuff like you know the guy magically disappearing like Maybe they felt like they just didn't have to answer that just because who cares? You're just playing a game. Or why is he falling in love with this woman? Like, it's just because she's the other character in the game and that's fine. Yeah. Like, I just I just don't think yeah. the... It's just, just the, you know, these aren't, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, gigantic it's kind, like, it's Hollywood kind writers. It's kind of a, a play off of movie conventions. Of course it is, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. to, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I probably can speak for everyone here when saying I might have had the, the raging hots for a, a woman who I've exchanged about three lines of dialogue with over the course of about four <laughs> hours, but, but love, you know, might be pushing it somewhat. Maybe yeah. I've just not been that lucky. So I mentioned the ranking system earlier. I don't know. Is, is there an S rank in this game? I don't think that was quite as common then. I think I think A might be the top, but forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, I didn't look at the rankings of the the sort of world record runs and stuff. Uh, it's based on the total time taken, so obviously faster the better in that regard. The number of saves, 
if you're completing the game fast, you won't be saving often anyway because uh, it takes time to do it. And yeah, you'll you'll be good at it and you won't need to. Uh, also, healing items used. Uh, I save a lot and I heal a lot. So I'm uh, yeah, I used to tend to get bad rankings, although I knew I know that I did play Survivor for Survivor with Hunk at some point. So either I did do it better by keep playing it or I downloaded a save or something like that. I had had possibly mm. had ways of doing that. Um, again, like I know this side of things is something that just doesn't interest some people, um, but I like the fact that it's in there. It's a, something that, you know, Camille yeah. obviously uh, took to, uh, you know, went forward with, with games like Beautiful Joe and even mm-hmm. the, the little tiny combat sections in, in Akami. Uh, you get graded for all that stuff. So uh, is this something that appealed like rerunning the game for better and better grades and better unlocks? Uh, or did you just leave this stuff for, for the obsessives? I appreciate it when it's in there and did at the time. But I always felt like there was a lack of clarity as to why my rank was why uh, was what it was kind of thing. So it would give me this rank at the end and I'd be like, oh, yeah. well, okay. You need one yeah, of those pulpy guidebooks to explain uh, if, yeah, if anyone knew what the deal was. It should have had a breakdown. Was. Yeah, no, it didn't, did like, it? If it had like a breakdown of sort of the areas and time it took through and saves, ah, etc., yeah. you could you could you could have got like an idea of mm. um, okay, I I could see the areas that I need. Yeah, to Yeah, if improve. it said how many items you used, it did it did give you a number of mm. saves and a time, but it didn't tell you about the uh, like a breakdown. Yeah, yeah, true. So yes, it is the case that if you do qualify with the right grades across the multiple plays, you can unlock the fourth survivor, which is a specific section of the game. You see the end results of it when you're playing the A scenario, possibly B as well, I can't remember. Um, Hunk, the operative special forces kind of guy with a gas mask, is trying to get basically get a canister of G virus from A to B. Is it simple as that? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's given a loadout of gear, and yeah, it's basically about getting from one place to another with the the weapons and bullets that you've got and the healing items that you've got, and uh, and then I assume you can get graded for that as well. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember it being very challenging, although not as challenging as the secret <laughs> mode. When I first saw a screenshot of this, I thought it was an April Fool in a magazine. Yes, <laughs> it looks that way. Uh, and even when you're, when it was running and it was on the disc, and I yeah, I saw it somehow. I, I yeah, as I say, I must for that. I must have found a save file or something. I don't know, but um, it still looks like some kind of April yeah, Fool. That's, that, it's that's April. how good it is. It's a barely animated block of uh, soya curd uh, tofu, and it speaks in a high-pitched Japanese voice and it only has a knife and it goes increasingly pink and then red as it gets damaged. There's no healing items. As it, as it gets uh, gets chomped on by the zombies. Yeah. Uh, it's it's completely, properly, yeah. Is it the only Japanese-voiced character in the game? Well, yes. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, it's tofu. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, so uh, did anyone actually unlock and play these? Uh, did anyone complete Tofu? Because I found it way too difficult. At the time, it took me a lot of years afterwards to even realise that there was this Tofu <laughs> yeah. mode, so I definitely didn't get it at the time. And it's kind of one of these, 
early days of YouTube and you see a Resident Evil tofu <laughs> block and I was like, huh? So I, I, somehow I hadn't even picked up on it in magazines <laughs> and, and that kind of thing until I saw it many years ago. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you when, but yeah, it came as a surprise. I was like, no, that can't be, that's doctored or someone's yeah. modded the game or something like that cannot be real. Yeah. And it is. It's absolutely I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to go a complete tofu mode. On all versions. <laughs> uh, and there's also in not is this in not all versions I forget without just you know reading the Wikipedia entry or whatever there is an extreme battle game uh, I think this was in dual uh, yes this was in the first in the dual shock version of Resident Evil 2 so it wasn't in the original release uh, but it did uh, become available in later versions including in some of them it's just unlocked from the start so you didn't even have to unlock it it's basically a uh, you start in the umbrella lab and you have to race to the police department obtaining four antivirus bombs found in the precinct uh, and then you have to plant them on a train to eliminate the zombie threat uh, yeah I've never uh, I've never seen this mode in real life I've seen it on video that's it comes in three stages uh you can play as chris redfield he's an he's an unlockable character in that so uh, anyone ever played this no not at all okay k sub zero 1000 has he says while extreme battle is a tiny bit too unfocused for my tastes the fourth survivor is an absolute delight learning how to carefully zigzag between enemies as none other than hunk and leaving a room without spending any ammo or healing items is a ridiculously fun and gratifying experience the tofu version is just the hilarious cherry on top it is very much one trick pony with hardly any room for improvisation but a one trick pony with a fancy hairdo and a charming personality and surely that <laughs> stuff counts for something yeah a few little Easter eggs of note. There's a shop in the town which is called Arukas, which is Saruka uh, Sakura, obviously backwards, which means it just means cherry blossom, but it is also the name of Sakura Kusanagi from Street Fighter Alpha, which was uh, or Street Fighter Alpha Two, which had been around for a little while at this point. Uh, zombie Kusagano, Kusagano. Sir. What did I say? Kusagani, Kusagano. Uh, I should know this. Kusanagi. Uh, oh, my apologies. Yeah. I should know this, given how many times uh, Mike Leddy picked that stage when we played Street Fighter the other <laughs> night. Uh, zombie Brad, so if you don't pick up any items and get to the police station within a certain amount of time, yep. mm -hmm. Brad from the first game is under there. Uh, if you shoot him, you get something. Is that right? You definitely get a, yeah, you get a bunch of, he drops like three, three items, right. I think. Okay, so, yeah. so it is rewarded for doing that other than just seeing him. There's an Easter egg which I remember trying to do and I couldn't get to work. I have seen it. I've seen footage of it, which is uh, there's mm -hmm. a couple of locations, not everywhere. But if you shoot towards the camera, uh, you can sort of create some sort of as if you've yep. blasted holes in the in the, the lens kind of thing. Yeah, I had that happen to me over uh, last oh, cool. week. And I was, I was like, what? Like, there's like no, I, was, I didn't know that was a Fourth thing. Fourth wall breaker. And so yeah. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. Uh, you can quite clearly see red rum. Uh, of course, from the Shining murder backwards on the wall in the police station. And perhaps the most notorious and slightly creepy Easter egg is Film D. So if you search behind Wesker's desk, which has already been looted, something like, I can't remember, it's like 30 times or 50 times or something. You have to just keep searching. Yeah, Eventually, you get one of the films that you can uh, develop in the darkroom and... It's a picture of uh, new recruit Rebecca Chambers in her gym kit. Wesker's a creep. Wesker's a creep. 
there's a specific N64 only Easter egg, which I find incredibly impressive when you remember the fact that we discussed earlier that it was squeezed from 1.2 gigs down to 64 mm-hmm. megabytes. <laughs> they added a little Hunter cameo uh, in one of the uh, like underground lab um, you know, big standy uppy jar thing, whatever you call big case thing. There's a hunter somewhere down there, apparently, anyway. Uh, let's hear from another correspondent. This is another new contributor to the podcast, Elbarg. I didn't play a lot of home console video games growing up. So when I met a friend in junior high who was an avid gamer, he was the one most responsible for educating me. I had received an N64 late in that console's life for Christmas one year, and the only games I had were Mario 64, Doom 64, and Nightmare Creatures. You can see where my tastes leaned by those last two titles. Anyhow, I was over his house one day and he was playing one of the Resident Evil games and I knew I absolutely had to find a way to play it. That's when he told me that Resident Evil 2 was available for my poor underused N64. I don't recall how I got my copy of the game and I only vaguely remember my parents buying me the RAM expansion once I discovered that my 64 was lacking that bit. What I do remember is sitting enthralled for hours wandering around that police station, wastefully expending round after round of ammo, using up all the green herbs and first aid sprays, and at one point putting a key item deep in the item box and forgetting about it, effectively halting my progress. When my friend asked me how the game was going, I told him I was stuck and he helped me work out what I had done wrong. Then I remember asking, when do I get to the next level? He was confused. I elaborated. Like, I've been on the police station level forever. What's in level two? You see, that's how ignorant I was of how video games had evolved, and my only frame of reference was games like Doom that were divided into levels. I seriously had no idea that games existed that linked all of the environments in a single continuous map. It blew my mind. And that's the start of how Resident Evil 2 became my favourite game that I would beat over and over again until I started trying to speedrun it before I even knew what speedrunning was. Yeah, so as I say, I looked at this uh, this speedrun movie. The current world record holder is a Swede by the name of Darazan Joel. 48 minutes, 53 seconds. Leon scenario A, I think that is. Uh, that's just simply the top. You know, there are other... Uh, obviously, you could set a time for doing all, you know, A and B or whatever. But uh, everyone who speedruns plays the Japanese NTSC PC Windows XP version because it's the fastest version. As I say, um, the video is worth watching in that way. I find uh, I find speedrunners amusing because they generally sound like they're having the worst time possible 99% of the time. (laughs) There's so much tutting and sighing and oh, oh, oh. And generally, you know, even on a good run, they don't sound like they're having a good time. I was talking to our friend Ben from One Credit Classics. (laughs) He always sounds like he's having a good time, even when he's playing ridiculously hard games and never losing a life and he does 400 runs to of ghouls and ghosts he, and he records his audio <laughs> on every one he still sounds like he's having a good time and and he has the complete you know kind of outpouring and an explosion of, of emotion at the end but this speedrunner is exactly does that so he has the tutting and the sighing and the oh i'm not doing very well until the last two or three minutes And when he gets the world record, he is obviously emotional and elated and, you know, it's all been worthwhile, the hundreds of hours he's put in and and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, it tells a story of itself. But it's also if you just want to watch someone play through Leon scenario A in 48 minutes without the bother of doing it yourself, that's the way to do it. Uh, He, as I say, he doesn't fire many shots. 
Ben is also one of a kind, uh, even though he uh, would like us to believe he isn't. Yeah. But uh, he kind of is. You can hear more of that on uh, Sound of Play 135. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a section I have now recently, amusingly, I think, redubbed Gaiden as Question Time. This is about uh, sort of spin-offs and things like that from the game. Uh, the story of Resi 2 was a basis for uh, several licensed works in later games. There are some comics, Raccoon City, R.I.P. and A New Chapter of Evil by Ted Adams and Chris Aprisco, uh, released in the first and second issues of Resident Evil, the official comic book magazine in March and June 98. There's a 60-issue Cantonese manhua, uh, Shenghua Weiji uh, 2, literally, Biological Crisis 2. That was published from uh, February 98 to April 99. So China- What a nightmare. I must have just missed that. In my, Chinese uh, manga. News you don't read the Chinese manga. It... Uh, as a romantic comedy retelling of the game's story centred on Leon, Claire and Ada, released as a Taiwanese two-issue comic, literally translated as Demon Castle 2. Who knew? Romantic comedy. That's I, fantastic. I know. Resident Evil City of the Dead, a 1999 book written by author S.D. Perry, is a more direct adaptation of the narrative and is the third release in her series of Resident Evil novelizations, published by Pocket Books in 1999. Now, I know some people have actually, uh, have actually read those. Not here, but... Uh, people in the in the world uh, there was a mo there's the mobile game resident evil uprising contains a condensed version of the resi 2 story adapted by megan swain uh, the dark side chronicles which is the light gun game uh, there's two two of those in that series uh, originally released for the wii also came to psn a uh, scenario named Memories of a Lost City, which reimagines the the original Resi 2 plot while retaining key scenes from the game's four scenarios. Uh, we're not covering uh, Darkseid and whatever the other one's called, Rec- uh, Umbrella Chronicles, in this series of podcasts, but I do recommend checking them out. And perhaps not the best light gun games ever made, but if you're a Resi fan, there's some really juicy kind of um, extra content in those. They're kind of like a, like a carnival ride through uh, your favourite uh, Resident Evil moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while waving a move controller or, or Wii remote about this right. Yeah, And remade, remade scenes, yeah. right, from the, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. yeah, some nice Easter eggs and, and uh, fan service, I think we should call them. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. But actually then perhaps I, I would say not as fun to play as the House of the Dead games, for instance. They're a bit, they're a bit bullet spongy, mm-hmm. the enemies, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily what you want in a light gun game. Um, yeah. No, no, but there no. you go. Uh, yeah, it's almost like they really try to create a fusion between yeah. uh, Resident Evil and mm-hmm. Light Gun games. Often, inv- uh, often available very, very cheaply, though. So if you have a Move controller and, and, a, and a PS3, uh, check them out. The story arcs introduced in Resident Evil 2 continue in drama albums and later game releases. Screenwriters employed by Capcom's former scenario subsidiary Flagship created two radio dramas, uh, Chisana Tobosha Sherry, Literally, the little runaway Sherry and uh, Ikateta Ona Spy Ada, the female Spy Ada lives. These dramas were broadcast on Radio Osaka in early 1999 and later released wow. by published uh, Sulaputa as two separate CDs, Biohazard 2 drama album. Osaka, Osaka <laughs> is where, uh, where Capcom is based, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a, a couple of tiny extra bits of trivia the late brad renfro who died in uh, 2008 aged just uh, 25 years old uh, you might know him from movies such as uh, sleepers i guess mm, was best known for bully as well um yeah. he played leon s kennedy in a japanese live action 
commercial directed by George Romero. So I guess uh, Resident Evil 2 had more had his blessing than Capcom's later Dead Rising, where they had to publish a, a <laughs> disclaimer on the, on the front of the box to point out that it had <laughs> nothing to do. And uh, the last thing, I, of course, I just remembered uh, the much-loved uh, Simon Pegg, Jessica Stevenson, Edgar Wright, TV series spaced from 1999 had an episode called Art, which also featured David Williams, and uh, is kind of based around the fact that Simon Pegg's character is obsessed with playing Resident Evil 2, and it, there's footage of the game features quite heavily throughout the episode. Worth checking out. Uh, before we conclude, there's a few more from the forum. Uh, Tadinio says Resident Evil 2 does everything a good sequel should by expanding and refining almost every aspect of the original and it sits comfortably for me as the best third part uh, third best entry I should say in the series Ksub01000 says like with the first Resident Evil I didn't play it when it first came out and yet despite not being driven by nostalgia in the slightest I very much love this game Colin Miller via email podcast at canorince.com Resident Evil 2 is simultaneously the best example of classic Resident Evil and the title that captured my imagination the least this is according to Colin there was something about the claustrophobic setting of the Arclay mansion of the remake that served slow paced puzzle solving meets survival horror Resident Evil 2 comes across as an effort to expand something that didn't really warrant expansion I prefer Resident Evil 3 Nemesis actually because there is a charming simplicity to the premise and execution it's generally faster paced coupled with the lingering presence of our friend Nemesis and these things have made excursion through Raccoon City feel more tense Resident Evil 2 meanders and there's a sort of passivity to it all I wasn't super interested in the architecture of the police station or the layout of the sewers and with no Nemesis level presence to keep my heart pumping I found myself putting the game down a few times compared to the first game and especially the remake that put random item into random spot to complete random task makes less sense in a supposedly functioning city it's conceivable that a wealthy nut job could construct a house that is needlessly creepy and sadistically gothic for no reason whatever gets your brain going in the morning you know but would a whole city really be like this i can't i just can't get behind that for me the star of the resident evil series is the atmosphere and while still great here there are just too many boring areas throughout Claire and Leon are also kind of mystifying as protagonists. Nobody in this series is exactly Hamlet, but the stars of Resident Evil 1 were doing their job, so I felt motivated along a linear trajectory. I functioned inside as a player. Claire and Leon are just fish out of water the entire time, wandering around semi-aimlessly and just sort of passively react to things. Sherry and Ada are pretty neat, and there are some other interesting NPCs, but maybe I'm more of a sucker for the adorable accents of the many mercs in Resident Evil 3. Now earlier I said this is the best example of classic Resident Evil and I stand by that. It's technically superior to 1 or 3 and the gameplay is more accessible and fun than Code Veronica. The Lickers are the best and sexiest monsters of any game in the series and I also love William Birkin's increasingly disgusting amalgamations. I'm probably just another Resident Evil 1 remake flag carrier whose opinion isn't correct but merely specific to the kind of Resident Evil I prefer to chew on. Here's hoping Resident Evil 2 actually gets an HD remaster revamp that's still happening, right? Uh, Suits concludes his feedback for Resident Evil 2 with, I feel like I want to like Resident Evil 2 more than I do. It feels shorter, maybe because I only really want to play half the game, I suppose, and more muddled than the Spencer Mansion did. The areas feel more open and less creative than the previous game also. Reading through other people's comments on the game, I seem perhaps to be in the minority here. I still enjoyed it, and looking back at it in the series, I feel it's as essential as any other entry. I just didn't enjoy it as much as the first game. Fair enough. Simon Sloth says... My parents were quite strict 
comparatively. So even as a teenager, I was prohibited from playing games of this ilk. I had to hear my schoolmates' accounts of this multi-disc experience with tall tales of secret characters if you raced at top speed through the game without saving. A lot of what came out of their mouths was complete fantasy, like the new Tomb Raider cheat code of legend. I didn't get the chance to play the game until my 15th birthday, a few years after my peers who were all on to its follow-up by then. I actually rented it from Blockbuster and it only came with one disc which I happily played. I thought the talk of a second disc was complete BS until about 10 years later when I replayed the game on my PSP and consulted a walkthrough. Funnily enough, a lot of what I thought were playground rumours were actually true, although a survival horror game with a block of tofu as a hidden character still sounds like nonsense. I actually think Resident Evil 2 has stood the test of time and its absolute insistence on rewarding repeat run-throughs is wonderful. And finally, we have an epic three-part tale from Mechna from the forum. Uh, it, it is a long one, but bear with us. Uh, it's, it's a lovely story about one particular copy. Well, I'll, I'll hand over to Mechna, who says, I'd like to regale the strange and intricate three-part history I've had with one copy of this game. Part one. Resident Evil 2 is the first of the series I ever saw or heard about. One of my earliest memories of zombies. A friend of mine had two older brothers and a PS1. On one of many evenings I stayed over at his house, the two of his older brothers suddenly came bursting in to kick us off the PS1, touting a brand new copy of Resident Evil 2. I caught a glimpse of its harrowing, powell black box art. I vaguely remember hearing my friend's mother shout from the next room something like, Don't let the boys play that! Referring to us being seven and eight years old, respectively. My interest was piqued, but I was unaware of what I was about to witness. The two brothers made no attempt to make us leave the room, and I remember the older of the two saying, Are you sure you want to stay? We stayed. My first experience of the announcer saying, Resident Evil 2. I was beginning to feel worried. The opening cutscene began, the grim narrator retreading the story of Resi 1 over those sepia-toned images. I don't know what it is, but that guy's monotone delivery of the voiceover never fails to instill fear into my mind. He sounds like he's almost happy it all happened. His hollow, bleak voice rings in my ears as I type this. I could feel the fear rising as I sat and watched this cutscene, images burning into my mind's eye forever. Leon S. Kennedy heads into the city in his jeep. He comes across a person lying in the road, presumably dead, getting out to investigate. He wonders what could have done such a thing to the mangled corpse. Upon hearing empty moans behind him, Leon turns around to zombies bearing down on his position. We were shocked into place, but inside we were screaming until the body on the floor grabbed Leon's foot. My friend and I leapt up and ran screaming out of the room in terror. I had never witnessed anything so unbelievably terrifying. It haunted my dreams for weeks on end. It affected my mind so much that I even began conjuring up nightmares of what a hypothetical first game in the series would look like. Any time after that, when I came to my friend's house, that cover would gaze at me, filling me with dread. A while after the first incident, we decided to brave the game on our own one day, this time during broad daylight, for what good it would do. We put it on and this time skipped all the cutscenes. Suddenly, though, we were thrust into the game, fires blazing, and Leon standing defenceless as a horde of zombies clambered towards him. I was handed the controller as my friend bolted out of the room, too frightened to play. My heart was pounding. I tried to move Leon in absolute terror, but at the time I didn't understand the tank controls. I was soon overrun by the horde and ran out of the room to join my friend, leaving Leon to his fate. Similar things like this happened as time went on. I recall one time myself and my friend were watching the older brothers play the game from outside the bedroom window as we were too terrified to even be in the same room as the game whilst in play. 
I also recall picking up a copy of the game in Tesco to look at the back of the box one day whilst out shopping with my parents. Of course, I'd never be allowed to buy it, but every time it was seen or mentioned, I couldn't help but be drawn to it. All of this built up in me, leaving a lasting, lasting impression on my young mind. Somehow, I still wanted to play this curiously terrifying experience and find out what happened to Leon and Claire. This is really great. Uh, <laughs> just intercepting between parts one and two. It's, it's this thing, this thing of being absolutely terrified and disgusted by something <laughs> as, and yet being drawn to it. Yeah. And, you know, becoming Desperate an obsession almost. Yeah. 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 Remember it well. So part two. Years passed and I would from time to time think about the game, the horror it made me feel and I still went to my friend's house every so often. One day as we were out in the shed looking at a new bike of his, I spotted, crushed under a huge pile of junk, a number of his PS1 games from his old collection. They were in very poor condition and most of the boxes, manuals and inlays were badly water damaged. But that unmistakable face gazed at me from the depths of the pile, albeit due to the water damage somehow looked even more hideous. I asked would I be able to borrow something? You can, but not my brother's games. A shot of sadness came over me as I picked through. Resident Evil 2 was, of course, his brother's game. He left the shed to head inside and I picked through the junk, getting hold of Fighting Force and Die Hard Trilogy. The rest were games uh, I had no interest in or were too poor of a condition to be salvageable. All except Resident Evil 2. Do I dare break my friend's trust for the allure of Leon's horrifying adventure with Claire? Surely Noel would notice this game missing from a collection whose fate was simply to be claimed by water damage and mould? I admit I gave in to my desire to play it on my own terms and took the game, hiding the discs in the Die Hard Trilogy manual. I thought about also taking the manual or inlays for Resi 2, but honestly, I was too frightened to have that horrible cover face in my room at night, and they were too damaged anyway. When I returned home, I began the game one evening. Would I survive the terror? Pangs of fear crossed over me as I relived the opening cutscene on my own, though older, so whilst I was still scared, I was capable of braving it out launching into the game again. Leon was surrounded. I had no idea how to use the gun, but had since mastered tank controls from the many hours spent playing Grim Fandango. So I ran in terror from the horde through the ghastly infested streets of Raccoon City. My blood rate pulsed heavy in my ears as I felt a cold sweat pass over me. Over a few weeks I slowly played through some of the game, often with a few different friends of mine by my side. It was quite hard all told, I'd never experienced the feeling of low ammo and a tight inventory. One night I was introduced to the liquor, another night to the crows, and I became intimately attached to the warm, fuzzy feeling of safe rooms. I found myself enjoying it, though still feeling scared at all the right moments. It was where I first met the spiders in the sewers. A friend of mine who played bass in my school band was with me. We decided it was time to power through the game, so he pulled out a cheat book, walked through for some of the tougher parts, and we played Leon's A scenario to completion. I wasn't yet aware of the canon way to play the game, Claire A, Leon B, or what the zapping system was, or anything really past my own experience. Only once did I pop in the Claire disc, thinking, oh, it's just the same game with Claire, no need to play that. So I counted that I'd completed the game and was satisfied with the outcome. Part 3 <laughs> Sometime around 2013, myself and a longtime friend, who was also in the school band, were reliving the majesty of early PS1 games, spurred on by a PlayStation nostalgia binge I was going through at the time. I'd since learned all about Resident Evil 2's zapping system and the different storyline playthroughs you could achieve depending on the order you played in. Any time I would make my way over to his house, we would spend hours watching each other playing through various PS1 games, offering commentary and moral support for each other as we beat each game. One evening, he had begun the mountainous task of completing Crash 2 to 
I was just fresh off the back of completing Medieval and decided it was high time to complete Resident Evil 2 with all the storylines using that original pair of discs which I still had and I still feel slightly guilty about keeping them. Beginning on the non-canon Leon A again, this time the game was an enjoyable romp. Through my nostalgia-soaked mind, it had nearly at this stage become an old friend of mine. There were still many shocks and surprises I'd never realised that were in the game, such as Mr X hunting you through the police station and playing for a short stint as Sherry Birkin. I regaled the stories of playing it for the first time to my friend as he ran commentary over me playing. Also, strangely, as we often do, we will put on different music whilst we watch each other play games. The person in the metaphorical passenger seat is in charge of the music. So for some reason, my friend was on a curious Chris de Burr binge, and now forevermore, Resident Evil 2 and Chris de Burr will be linked in my mind, as Leon runs down police HQ corridors mowing down zombies to the tune of Don't Pay the Ferryman. It strangely suits the game in a way. It was finally complete as I finished up Leon B. I was satisfied with the twists and turns, the ending, and I was satisfied that Resident Evil 2 was a complete story and finally a closed chapter of my life. Well, that is until I heard about all the extra modes, since then Hunk Mode and Tofu Mode, but that's a story for another time. Maybe I will return to those when I hit my 30s, or when the remake gets released. Maybe I could return those original discs now to my old friend, now that I have a complete inbox copy of my own. One thing is certainly for sure though, Resident Evil 2 will stay with me forever. Great story. Thank you, Mechner. He's still not even 30. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that will yeah, conjure up a lot of feelings for a lot of people. It's it's important. I think stories like that are so important in bringing, I, I know I bang on about context, but actually the fact was that this game was frightening, like to us or even to me as a, like, how old was I? 25 when I played this, you know, I wasn't too frightened to play it. I banged through it four times in a weekend, but I was, you know, I was tense. I was on edge. I was you know, I was nervous. I was potentially frightened, and and it, and it had that effect. It doesn't have that now, although a couple of you know jumps jump scares will always work because it's yeah it's cattle. It's like being cattle prodded. You know, your your brain is going what's that what's that noise? Um, but actually, yeah, it wasn't. It's not creepy now, really. Um, yeah, in the in the quote unquote old school Resident Evil games, yeah. none of them are, are uh, as uh, creepy uh, as the original are. Is but they never. They never lose that uh, that certain um, type of uh, of tension. Yeah. Yes. Now, much more briefly, we have obviously, as you'd expect, some three-word reviews. Follow us at Kana Rinse. We shout out for three-word reviews on the day of recording. If you get them in in time, here we go. Sulking Honky said, "Impractical Police Station." Alex J. Anstey says, "Zombie Brad Surprise." Richard Sims, True Hero Kendo. Jake Ricala, that first liquor. The Cinema Cephalopod, Ada, Ada Wong. Colin Gerard, Poor Ignored Leon. Alex Fusil, Worst Welcome Party. Victor White, Alienesque, Chest Burst. Camille Rousseau, Tofu, Nom Nom. Jmare01, The Ultimate Bioweapon. Snapping Trickster, First Day Blues. I like the, under- the understatement there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Joseph King, weird, tense, replayable. Excellent. All right. Well, I haven't really uh, come up with a, a, a definite order for us to conclude our feelings on Resident Evil. So we'll go uh, alphabetically mm. again. Let's start with Carl. Yeah. Resident Evil 2 is not my most memorable in the Resident Evil series, yet I would take 
a remaster remake of Resident Evil 2 over a Resident Evil 8. I think that I didn't fully appreciate at 14 how incredible it was to have this zapping system and the um, alternating story arc and, and, and the different kinds of characters and the weapon choices. And I think it's only having gone back through the games over recent years that I now really understand how impressive this game was. Mm. I I love the environments, although it will never beat the mansion. I think the mansion is the ultimate horror environment um, of anything. There's just something so creepy about that. But this is, as alluded to earlier, the aliens of the franchise. It's so much more action-oriented, and I think that is for its benefit. Um, Character-wise, I don't find it overly memorable other than Leon being a character for perhaps the wrong reasons in this game. And then at least he got to star in Resident Evil 4, so he's not done too badly. Um, And the introduction of series regular Ada, uh, I think the rest of the characters are fairly forgettable. Oh, sorry, and Claire. Claire's pretty great. Um, All told, I've enjoyed going back to it. for this podcast, I only went to the sort of the very start of the police station, but I did complete it uh, not too very many years ago, and I still kind of really like this game. And I'd I'd recommend someone play it if only we don't get the remake. So if the remake came out, I'd probably recommend that. Otherwise, I definitely think there's, there's still some playable joy to it. Uh, just. It's hard to sort of state where your uh, impressions of it should be and what what your expectations are because Resident Evil 2, like most mainline Resident Evil games, are very different to the ones either side. But overall, I definitely think it's 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 a fun action horror romp. Well said. Yeah, I feel similarly. Like I don't think this is a game that I would say that everyone must play to you know have experienced this absolute sort of you know iconic it's you know it's kind of iconic but it is the sequel to another icon in a sense uh this did feel like the yeah the bigger better faster more sequel that maybe lost some of the creepiness and atmosphere of the original game but improved systems and i would say like the 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 flow state of the game and all that stuff but still retains a lot of uh stuff that marks it out as a 20 year old game with uh yeah curious controls and uh, weird ducking in in and out of inventories and no shortcut buttons and yada 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 lots of lots of things that yeah remind you of its age the sort of things that they would almost certainly change in terms of a user interface and quality of life and stuff if they did do a remake um but i have enjoyed going back to it i still found it really playable uh like i wasn't you know i wasn't absolutely itching to return to this game for the series but i was thinking yeah, cool. That would be nice to go back because I do have incredibly fond memories of that back-to-back-to-back-to-back four-day playthrough in 98. But I haven't, you know, other than the odd pop-in ever since, I haven't sort of felt, yeah, like desperate to unlock every last secret and see every... I felt like I had a great time with the game and, and it was kind of done. And and I, and again, I can go back to feeling that way again now. I'll probably never play this original PS1 Resident Evil 2 ever again, I imagine. Um, but, yeah. Good times, fond memories, and uh, an important, yeah, ridiculously ambition, 
uh, ambitious from Camille and co and an important stepping stone for the series. Although, you know, some people may say that's where it peaked. Um, if you're one of those, well, play it again. Why not? It'll be fun. Bucking the alphabetical trend. <laughs> How about you, Sean? Yeah, I, th- I think I like Resident Evil 2. Um, I think it's, it's this is one of those cases where I I admire the game more than I enjoy it. I guess if that's yeah, if that makes sense. I, I just I can I can appreciate all the work and effort that they did into uh, like all the the zapping system and and just the quality of life improvements. I really I do appreciate. Um, I just I, I, the story is just kind of like it's it's. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of throwaway for me, and and the, and I I can't get in. I just can't ignore the the art design of, of the of the station, and and it just really it, it does bother me. It, not much, not enough to ruin the game, but it just I can't I can't not see it. Um, but I, I I think the music is fantastic, um, and I appreciate the as you said, Leon, the ambition that um the team had especially for his first gig like that's just crazy it's like hey let's just do all everything that we possibly yeah. can let's go for it. sort of naivety um, and, of and youth. to honestly be mostly yeah. successful exactly yeah yeah and to be successful at it too and for to start his career is just, it's really impressive and and it, it, in in a way it's been interesting to go back to it um you know in 2018 when when we've heard so many times about how Resident Evil 4 and 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 5 and 6 like they kind of you know, I've heard so many complaints about those games making it such a more action-oriented uh, franchise. When here we are, this very second game in, it starts with a tank exploding and zombies everywhere. Like it's just, it's kind of always been there, um, but maybe it just became more, you know, obvious when they shift things around later on. But it's been neat to see the the origins of of this of the way this franchise was going so i yeah i think i like i think i like resident evil right. too i have some reservations about it but it's 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 cool it's cool nice okay let's conclude with mikhail yeah it could be a fairly short because i sort of gave my conclusion away already midway throughout uh, this podcast recording imagine if resident evil 2 would just be as is but without the ambition and the 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 branching stories and the the multiple scenarios, I think it would be a kind of a a letdown and a and a pale shadow of uh, of the first game. Um, but it isn't, and that is precisely due to uh, the, its scope and its uh, its ambition. So anything that it lost in terms of uh, its creepy gothic atmosphere, it's de- definitely made up with it with. Uh, with uh, all that it adds and i think also what really speaks for resident evil 2 is that it has held up way better than uh the original non-remade resident evil in terms of its uh its uh fidelity and its presentation and also in terms of its uh playability um and i think for me it's just bottom line one of the better if not one of the best uh, installments in the whole series. And I'm very excited that I've only ever completed three of the four possible Mm -hmm. scenarios. So I still have something to go back to and to mine out of it and to unlock the extra modes. So it's, it's good knowing that it's there for me to go back to and, and, and unlock uh, whenever I feel uh, compelled to do so. Good luck with that. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you. Uh, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Michiel and Sean, as well as all our correspondents, Editor Jay and you for listening, of course. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe if you don't already. Rate or review it on wherever you get your podcast from, whichever platform, whichever service. It's all really helpful. Best of all, though, you can support us via our Patreon, patreon.com slash Cana Rinse. A dollar a month gets you every podcast a week early. Go to the canerinse.com website. There are other ways you can help us out as well, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, yes, and there's also a monthly mini cast for Patreon subscribers as well. So you get uh, a little extra bonus treat there with me and Jay. Next time in issue 308, the crew acquire Ninja Stealth Skills 1998 style in our Tenchu Stealth Assassins podcast. <laughs>